Welcome to ESPUN's penultimate episode. I'm Alex Lynn, a senior at Barrington High School, and my least favorite sport is volleyball. And I'm Ron J. Roy. I'm also a senior at Barrington High School, and my least favorite sport is probably baseball. Today on ESPUN's fourth episode, we're covering the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom is a constitutional monarchy, and we consider it a, we consider it a democratic regime. It's one of the few countries left in the world to still have a queen who allegedly parachuted into the Olympics opening ceremony with James Bond, allegedly. And while the United Kingdom has a queen, it maintains a freely elected parliament and the prime minister is far more powerful than the queen. Since the UK is a democratic regime with many guaranteed freedoms written into law, like press freedom, religious freedom, and freedom of speech, we're going to evaluate, we're going to evaluate the UK's attitudes towards sporting in that context a free country where the government respects the independence of civil society and its people. We expect the government to treat sporting the same way with the general distance, but we may present some evidence to the contrary. So now I wanted to take a moment to profile the UK sporting habits. Traditionally, popular sports in the UK include soccer, or should I say football, um, and then also cricket, rugby, tennis, and badminton. So those are the top five. Um, I personally am a huge fan of the English Premier League. And in my seven visits to England, I have never met someone who couldn't say the same. Football is ingrained in their culture, as much so as American football is here. And it is not uncommon for people to get into passionate bar fights when their teams go up against each other. So like personally, I remember when I went when I was four years old, I got into a pretty passionate bar fight. But uh, I think that's a story for another time. There are many examples of organizations related to sports in the UK that can be classified as civil society, an important topic in the AP Comparative Government Syllabus, which can be defined as a non-governmental organization that acts voluntarily and autonomously to advance their causes. For example, my cousin in London used to volunteer for a large nonprofit organization called Street League, which is a program meant to help and mentor unemployed people in the UK by building their skills and confidence through sports. Further, football clubs are an important aspect of communities and help to foster local identities. The UK is known to promote civil society in general, especially when we compare it to other countries like China and Iran, where media and civil society restrictions are commonplace. As a matter of fact, BBC provided extensive high quality advertisement, free coverage and free publicity for sports in exchange for being granted broadcast rights for low fees. Sports have now gener generally moved to pay TV but they are still very accessible to UK citizens. As for other sorts of media coverage, the UK is known for its tabloid journalism, which tends to promote sensational and often false information to the public. For the most part, however, coverage on sports tends to be relatively accurate. While there may be many manufactured rumors about actual players or in influential sports figures, the sport in general is still portrayed in, in an equitable manner as journalists operate entirely independent from the government. The most interesting thing about the UK government is some of their cabinet positions. In the United States, cabinet positions are pretty mundane, like transportation, defense, commerce, etc. They all do important things, but there's only 15. In the UK, the positions get a little more interesting. The UK has 23 departments, one of them being the Department of Digital, Culture, Media, and Sport. This is a sort of foreign topic to me and Ranjay. There's no culture secretary in the US. 
and the U.S. Maintains a, pretty, maintains a pretty distant role from sports. Sure, there's Title IX and significant regulations, but you generally see a distance. For example, Donald Trump expressed disdain at some of our major sports leagues, but you never saw him proposing stand for the national anthem at football games legislation. The Secretary of State for Digital Culture, Media, and Sport is Oliver Dowden, and inside the DCMS department also sits the Minister, for State, Minister of State for Sports and Tourism, Nigel Huddleston. DCMS maintains a pretty important influence over sports in the UK. DCMS's site describes their role as to, quote, protect and promote our cultural and artistic heritage and help businesses and, businesses and communities to grow by in, investing in, innovate, in, in innovation and highlighting Britain as a fantastic place to visit. We help to give the UK a unique advantage on the global stage, striving for economic success. As part of the DCMS, the Minister of Sports responsibilities include, of course, sport and tourism, as well as gambling in the Commonwealth Games, which is basically a mini Olympics for all the countries in the Commonwealth, uh, which is a group of current and former British colonies. Um, and important people have held these roles. Sajid Javid served in the role of secretary in 2014 and later held critically important roles like chancellor of the Exchequer and Home Secretary. Matt Hancock was secretary in 2018 and he now runs the UK's COVID response. Jeremy Hunt ran the Olympic response and later served as foreign secretary. However, I have to note he did lose by Boris Johnson uh, by like a two thirds margin. So you can't win them all. Uh, but why am I saying this? Clearly it's a position for important people and prime ministers have used it, used it as an opportunity to elevate rising stars in their party. To me, it just shows that the power to regulate sporting isn't just some dead position reserved for unimportant people. It's certainly no treasure of the United States, not to roast anyone. This just underscores how the UK government takes it so seriously. Uh, but beyond anecdotal evidence, to truly show the importance of this position and its power over sporting, I wanna show a clip from a few days ago featuring Digital Culture, Media, and Sports Secretary Oliver Dowden speaking to Parliament. For some context, 12 of Europe, Europe's biggest football clubs announced they were forming a Super League to shake up the established order of European football. The UK government was not exactly excited about this. Here's what Dowden had to say. Madam Deputy Speaker, football is in our national DNA. We invented it, we helped export it around the world, and it has been at the heart of British life for over a century. Football clubs, of course, just aren't just businesses. They define communities across the country. So along with almost every member of this house, I suspect, I was appalled by the announcement made late last night that a handful of clubs are proposing to form their own breakaway European League. Are looking at all options, and indeed he raised some further important options as to what we should do. We will... The football authorities have robust rules in place to deal with this, and I know from my conversations with them today that they are rightly considering a wide range of sanctions and measures to stop this move in its tracks. My message to them was clear. They have our full backing. But, Madam Deputy Speaker, be in no doubt, if they can't act, we will. We will put everything on the table to prevent this from happening. We are examining every option from governance reform to competition law and mechanisms that allow football to take place. Put simply, we will be reviewing everything the government does to support these clubs to play. 
I have discussed these options with the Prime Minister this morning, and we are working at pace across government and with football authorities. I want to reassure this House of a very robust response. We will do whatever it takes to protect our national game. If the past year has taught us anything, it's that football is nothing without its fans. And these owners should remember that they are only temporary custodians of their clubs and they forget fans at their peril. That's why over the past few months, I've been meeting with fans and representative organisations to develop our proposals for a fan-led review. One very interesting thing Dowden said in this clip was that everything was on the table, including government reforms, and he formally triggered a fan-led review. It's interesting to see the government suggest interfering like this, and with such passion, just to preserve an aspect of the UK's cultural identity. When we talk about government attitudes towards sports, if I were to tell you that a government was regulating football clubs, you might think I'm talking about an authoritarian government like Iran, China, or Russia. But no, a democratic regime, the United Kingdom, with a 93% on Freedom House, would like to regulate private football clubs to preserve the UK's national identity and the established order of European football. It's interesting to see sports and governments mesh like this in such a free country often seen as fairly aligned with the US on these matters. To hear them say all options are on the table, including government reforms, makes it slightly hard for me to compare democracy versus authoritarianism. Perhaps government regulated sports is a commonality among the AP6 countries we've covered so far. Rather than a difference with authoritarian countries like China, Iran, and Russia, the UK shares a commonality. Uh, and to get a little bit more into the DCMS's role, uh, let's get into the 2012 Olympics. So the Secretary of Digital Culture, Media and Sports plays an important role in the UK sporting events as seen in the 20, 2012 London Olympics. In fact, DCMS Secretary Tessa Jowell was instrumental in bringing the games to London. So why was it so important to them? I asked this question too. Everyone always says the, that the Olympics shouldn't come to Chicago because we're in such a poor financial situation. Hosting the Olympics is seen as more of a negative than a positive at this point. However, the UK government has actually reaped the benefits of the London Olympics. So obviously, one of the biggest examples of hosting the Olympics is the economic benefits that come from the publicity of the event. In the first two years after London 2012, the game specifically gener generated 14.2 billion pounds of trade and investment benefits in the UK economy. Additionally, the government worked hard to make the most of the trade and investment opportunities that arose from the Olympics, unlike some other countries who went back on their promises or underutilized the development made in preparation for the event afterwards, like Brazil. For example, Olympic Park in the UK was transformed into a new visitor des uh, destination, offering venues and attractions alongside new homes, schools, and businesses, amongst open green spaces in the heart of East London. The Olympic host boroughs also developed a strategic regeneration framework or SRF. And the overall aim of the strategy was that within 20 years, the communities who hosted the 2012 games would have the same social and economic chances as their neighbors across London. The UK also used the Olympics as an opportunity to increase their investment in sports, investing 150 uh, million pounds a year in primary school sport for the 2013 and 2014 
sorry, the 2013 to 2014 academic year and the following two years and investing, sorry, so they invested 150 million pounds a year in primary schools for it for the 2013 to 2014 academic year and the following two years. Um, and additionally, they invested 1 billion pounds over five years in the youth and community sports strategy, helping young people to take up sport as a habit for life. Even though the Olympics are a very expensive event to host, a poll one year after the 2012 Summer Olympics found that more than two-thirds of the UK population was satisfied with the $9 billion cost for the Olympics, and even more were willing to welcome the Games back to Britain. Certainly, this is a big win for the UK government's legitimacy at home, demonstrating that the government was willing to keep true on their promises and use smart investments to improve the economy in the long run. But the UK government has also used the Olympics to enhance its global legitimacy, even when the games weren't actually in the UK. After the 1996 Olympics, Britain came home as the team of shame, only winning one gold medal. Clearly, this was a huge embarrassment for the UK, both at home and abroad. Countries are supposed to root for their national teams, and when they fail so brutally, it can damage the national morale. And let's not forget that in the late 90s, particularly 1997, the British Empire was essentially coming to an end with the loss of Hong Kong. At a time when it seems like the country's power is shrinking, the UK's legitimacy as a major player in the world was certainly not helped by this performance. However, the UK recognized the importance of sports to improve the nation's legitimacy. Funding for the Olympic team surged from 59 million British pounds to 350 million British pounds and the team came home with 27 medals by the 2016 Rio Games. It has surged to number three for gold medals behind only the US and China, the world's competing superpowers. And in order to assure success in the 2021 games, the government increased funding for UK sport by 29%. Sports historian Tony Collins describes the Olympics as a quote, area for national prestige and soft diplomacy. An additional investment has reestablished the UK's sports legitimacy and prestige on the world stage. Now, in our critically acclaimed second episode, ESPUN Takes on China, we talked about how China wants strength, also known as legitimacy. China invests in sports-based schools because they want to win gold medals at the Olympics, as it presents an image of strength at home and around the world. You can definitely see a correlation between the perceived strength of countries and their placement on the gold medals list. The USA is seen as the most powerful country in the world, and it has the most gold medals. China is seen as the second most powerful country or roughly tied with the US, and it has the second most. By investing heavily in sports, the UK looks to display a similar image of strength that China does. The UK is a democratic regime, so it stands in a bit of contrast with some of the previous countries we've covered, especially with regards to civil society, but some similarity with them when it comes to legitimacy. Yep, there are definitely some clear connections to be made. Like China, the UK uses sports as an opportunity to demonstrate their strength to the world. Its mass sporting success has been extraordinarily fruitful economically, and has ultimately, like China, allowed the UK to gain legitimacy at both a domestic and international stage. The UK used the Olympics to make long-term changes that will hopefully benefit many people for years to come. Yep. Well, looks like that we have to wrap things up right here. So thank you for listening to our fourth episode 
of our ESPUN podcast, and we will see you soon in our final episode. Thank you.